And now live to digital audio from the Swing Thought Studios in downtown Toronto. Please welcome to another episode of Swing Thoughts. History in the making for the first time in uh, some time. Tim O'Connor, I believe is how you pronounce that name, is actually sitting across from Golf Spiritual Leader. I'm not sure that's history. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's historic. It's relatively recent, So, but we'll go with that. Yeah. Here's the thing. Um, we're coming to you as we often do. And by the way, my guest for the full hour is Tim O'Connor. <laughs> I thought we were co-hosts. No, I know, but I like saying that because that's like a Larry King thing. My guest for the full hour is Tim O'Connor. <laughs> my, actually, I could say my, my guest for the full hour is Howard Glassman and Tim O'Connor. Yeah, then because I'm an entity unto myself. But it could also be plural. But we could be our guests. Whoa, our guests are ourselves. Yes. TaylorMade brings you this, the number one driver in golf. Have you seen? You know, there's quite a buzz, by the way. The uh, new TaylorMade irons have been released or are being released momentarily. Have there been adverts on the TV? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On the on the telly? On the telly. On the magic box? On the boob tube. Uh, no, I saw I get a tailor. A tailor I get a TaylorMade. I like, like, I get a TaylorMade email, I believe is what they're called. Eh? Oh, like the digital, and, digital yeah. communication? I got a digital communication eh, from the TaylorMade people, and uh, these new irons are sweet. Eh? Uh, still using the uh, TaylorMade. I'm using an M2. Me too. M2. Did you find, you know, it's funny because I'm, I'm going to be hanging out with our buddy uh, from TaylorMade, Stuart Manatine, on Monday. Cool. I'm uh, doing some work with my wedges. It's pretty top secret because I don't like to talk about it. Uh, anyway, so... <laughs> uh, that M2 is still outrageous uh, for me anyway. I'm not sure how you're finding it, but it really... And what I would say to people who aren't using it is like, what? Do you hate your life? But no, really, what I would say is whatever you're using, and there's some good ones out there. I know a lot of people love their ping drivers, and of course, Titleist makes a great driver. Just give this TaylorMade thing a, a try because I think what its advantages for me, and I felt this yesterday I played in a little pro-am, is when I, when I can feel that off-center hit... It, it, and then you find your ball out there somewhere in the world. You go, wow! It, I don't. It just seems like it shouldn't have gone as far as it did. Yeah, I know. It seems like cheating. Yeah. When I put M1 in the bag last year, it was like 20, 20 instant yards. Just putting that in. I have the new M1 this year, and I still find that, um, yeah, on an off center hit, little toe, little heel. Wow! It still goes there, and you know, I love that. We're going to talk about uh, the season of uh, 2018, which is, you know, we're recording this on the 15th of September. We were playing some old guy stuff there a few minutes ago, trying to remember when was the last time we saw each other in person. Oh, and it's God. a long time, man. I mean, I, we've been recording these on the phone with you for, I don't know, for a good couple of months. I think the last time we saw each other was at a golf experience of some kind. I think we kind. played at uh, the men's night. Also a sponsor of uh, yes. Swing Thoughts. The Cl Glen Club Link. Yes, and their men's night at Glen Karen and the men's night at Blue Springs. Um, yeah, that was the last time with our friend Ronan. And he's very pleased. <laughs> Apparently mentioning Ronan on Swing Thoughts has become a drinking game with him and oh, his yeah? friends. Every time we say that name, uh, he gets a, a, a lot of hate mail. <laughs> I, uh, I played with Ronan a couple weeks ago. The Ronin Man yeah. and I played, I think, in the second round of the... I think that's the... four. No, that's five Ronins now. <laughs> anyway, Ronin and I played in the uh, second round of the 36-hole Invitational known as the Willie Park. Oh, yeah. Wow. Great. Spectacular golf course, Weston. Weston. Yeah. I will say, of all the 
sort of big time invites I've played this year, and I'm talking about the early bird at St. Thomas, the one at Burlington, and Nash, the National, the Invitational at Glen Karen, and the Invitational at Weston. I've never seen greens like that. Like the heart, and Ronan would Ronan Ronan Seven would, now. would tell you. <laughs> Those greens were faster than I was able to, most of us were able to um, handle. In combination with some pretty s- s- severe slope? Well, severe that was the, uh, or... the thing about Weston, if you've ever played it, it's, it doesn't have visual, like uh, visually you don't, you don't see a lot of undulation, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of break to those greens. And when you get them rolling, as they were that day, 13-something. Ouch. And I know a lot of guys will say, oh, you know, men for some reason like to brag about how far they hit the ball and how fast the greens are at their home course. Yeah. But I will tell you, and again, those are the invites I played, the big ones, all on very, very fast greens. But even the Nationals greens weren't as fast as Weston. And to be honest with you, I was, uh, you know, it wasn't my best tournament. You know, I want to talk, maybe we can use that as a a jumping off point. I could tell I was pretty tired. It was the end of a lot of tournament weeks in a row. And I, at the end of the day, I had a great time. My my favorite part of the day was the banquet and hanging out with my buddies. The golf was all, I think I shot 84, 84, but I would tell you this to give you some perspective, the Ontario match play champion, this kid's a superstar. His name is uh, Chase something or other. He's like a plus four handicap. He shot 79, 79. <laughs> Paul Gortner shot, you know, 81. Another plus. Another plus. Yeah. I played with Paul, and, and we played in the first round, and we were both about the same. I tripled the last hole for 84. So I was 84, he was 81 or whatever. Wow. But I'm just telling you, the it was weird because I didn't have the energy I, I, I needed, and I wasn't nervous. Hmm. Good thing. I noticed at the end of the day, I thought, wow, that was a, a weird tournament for me because I wasn't, I was excited to, to play in it, but I wasn't really nervous to play in it because I think that I was mentally spent tournament wise. Yeah, but also as golf's spiritual leader, yes. you've now ascended to a new level. You've played in Ontario Mid Am this year, uh, Canadian Mid Am, you've played in a lot of other big events. And so, you know, you've, you've experienced what those nerves are like. And so, this is an invitational. It's a big one for sure, but I got to think that you've kind of been there and not so much done it. So it's nice to be have those nerves. It means you care. Well, that but, was not what I wanted to bring up to you is that I, I could see that in actual fact, I didn't care about it as much as I probably should have uh, yeah. if I wanted to play my best golf. Because you're also tired. I, was, I will yeah. say that. I was energy. This was a couple of weeks ago, and it came at the end of August. So for about five or six weeks, as we talked on the last show, I had big tournament after big tournament after qualifier after club championship after the, the national thing I played in. And then when I got to that tournament, playing with Ronan, uh, we both played, you know, pretty horribly in the afternoon, although we had a decent time. You know, I think Ronan enjoys uh, his golf. He wasn't playing very well. Um, but none of us handled those greens very well. Yeah, it's it's really interesting when you get on... A tough course uh, in combination with slope greens and and speed that um, people who are plus handicaps very low mid 80s and stuff yeah know, man. that can happen absolutely so score goes out the window in in many different ways you know it can be from conditions whether it be fast greens slopey greens wind or whatnot so it's just a way of saying hey folks just relax on that score thing oh for sure because, uh, you know, to, to put yourself against your own standard isn't really fair. And I can't tell you, I think I played, uh, I know I know I played 36 holes. I think I lost track 
I'm pretty sure I three putted eight times. I was going to ask how many four putts. No four putts. Really? But uh, I I three puttered three puttered. <laughs> I three puttered a eh? as you putted uh, around a. Eh? I puttered around a eh? uh, clearly one quarter of the golf I played that day. I three putted. Oh, I get it. But uh, you know other because I would say this about Weston. Other than because it wasn't windy, perfect day. It's not a very difficult golf course without those greens. Mm. For better players. Hence the defense. For better players like us, I would put myself in that category. Sure, it's not. It's If the greens were average speed, those guys would eat it up. My, the guy that won it is our, my buddy Charles Fitzsimmons. Our, been on the show. Uh, very Saw him s- yesterday. Did you? Winning <laughs> yeah. on the winning team with Western we'll at get- the first OUA uh, golf tournament. Well, we'll get to the uh, yeah. ha- we'll get to how you the winning team. <laughs> we'll get to your team in a second. By the way, that's uh, Tim O'Connor's the mental performance coach for uh, the Glen Abbey Academy. He is also the head coach of the Guelph Griffins, who uh, took on Slytherin yesterday in a <laughs> match of golf. Kittich. We'll wearing, get to that. Wearing pointed hats and <laughs> that's right. Flying on. But Charles Fitzsimmons won. I'll just wrap it up with Weston. He won the golf tournament. Uh, I think he shot 73-70. Yeah. But other than him and a couple of guys that were sort of mid to low 70s, a lot of the field was way higher. And, again, as you said, you know, you you give amateurs. Because those green speeds were basically, and somebody said, that's what they play Augusta at, 13-plus. Wow. And uh, what I felt was... You needed to land your golf ball on such a small part of this green complex to get it to stay. Just quickly, I had a 115-yard gap wedge, and I wanted to land it 105 yards because I'd gotten gotten in my head that, you know, I knew it was going to release, and I did. I, I think I found my ball mark within a couple yards of where it needed to be, and I was 40 feet past the flag. Wow. Because it, it not only when because to get the greens that fast, they have to cut them down, then the sun bakes them, and, and I got and a sense. Them and they roll them. They roll them between rounds, and it was, I'll be honest with you, it was more than I was uh, mentally ready to handle. Right. And it wears on you. How much do you think Charles is ball striking? He's a big guy. He, you know, he's one of those guys. He has a different sound when he hits the ball. Um, you know, do you think there was part of his ability to, to his ball would check a little bit more than say yours would? He's younger too. Uh, I think Charles and, and guys like Charles, uh, Kevin Fawcett and Rank and those guys. Not only do they hit it way further than me, they hit more fairways than I do. Because yeah. the real problem is. Yeah, maybe their spin's a little bit better, but I was in the I was just off the fairway, and you can't hold the greens. Exactly. Even, and even from the fairway, I couldn't hold the greens. But you know, Charles and we were all sitting around talking about it after. Those were very all of us. There was a sense that they might have been a little faster than they needed to be. Right? Oh, yeah, like overboard a little bit. Yeah. Also, the case that you are giving up. Um Maybe 20, 30 years. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, yeah, and, and 30, 40 yards. That's the point. Because, yeah. you know, you're coming in maybe with six iron. Oh, yeah. And they're coming in with nine or wedge and, you know, just more arc to the ball, a little bit more spin. That makes a big difference. Let's talk about the, how, what is the OAU? What is Ontario that? Ontario University Association. Ontario University Association. and OUA. And, yesterday, and how many teams are typically at these tournaments? Oh, man. Um... I don't really know exactly for sure, but I think there was about 
nine or ten schools yesterday. And you guys played, uh, where was your tournament at? Whistle Bear? No, it was at uh, St. Thomas. Oh, St. Thomas. That's, we that's why you were telling me about that. Yeah, beautiful Stanley Thompson course. Great golf course. Yeah, we were kind of doing a thing before and uh, said, so uh, when in doubt, be below the hole here. And one of the wags at the back of the bus goes, but when have you not heard that about a Stanley Thompson course? <laughs> no, know? for sure. But, uh, and that's a great golf course. Oh, it's funny. There's, course. That's one of those courses that if it was closer to, say, the big city here, oh, everyone it, would join it. It'd be a million dollars. Oh, easily. To play there. Yeah. But I was saying to somebody yesterday. Okay, maybe not a million, but, but very expensive. <laughs> yes, we do exaggerate a little bit. Um, but that would be like, you know, living near a small city like St. Thomas, a golf course of that uh, wow, it's so good. Yeah, I think they charge. Like, I every time I play, because I played the Invitational there like four years in a row, I, I always think, oh, what does it cost to join this place? Because, you know, in, in Toronto, that would be sixty, seventy thousand. 70000 yeah. And and there, I think it's a couple grand a year. I think it's more than that. Is I'm it? not exactly sure. Uh, the annual dues were more, I think, you know what, I'm not going to say because I'm probably going to have it wrong. Uh, but it was a little bit more than what I thought. But still, the point is, uh, if you... Of reasonable means, and you were a golf nerd, you'd play here. Oh, wow. I'm always fascinated by people that live in London because to me, it's only, I think, about 25 ish minutes from longer than that. 30 from the city? Yeah. Is well, it really? It's a, good, it's a good trip, you know, and I think that if you're going to belong to a golf course, I personally, I drive 20 minutes to get to Blue Springs. I couldn't imagine driving. I used to drive an hour to Spring Lakes years ago, and I, I just—I no, know that, what you're saying. That's just a little too far. But to, to people that live in Toronto, driving 40 minutes to a golf course isn't that's that right. big a deal because golf courses are on generally the periphery. Right. Of, uh, if you live in London, that's that's a huge trip over there, whether it's 20 or 30 or 40. So your team uh, finished third. Yeah, I which mean, is pretty respectable, no matter absolutely. what the comp. And, and the guys that you were competing against, Charles and those guys on the Western team, they're real. Those are some of the best players in the country. Well, and they also have uh, Eric uh, Flockhart. I uh, hope I didn't butcher the name, Eric. Um, he played for... Yeah, uh, Eric's a very difficult name to pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. Uh, he played, for, I think it was for Laurier <laughs> Waterloo last year. Yeah. It was the last name, pal. That's so I got it. I got it. Yeah, I got thank it. Thank you. I'm, I'm, um, I'm up to speed. Top, top amateur. And he shot a nice 69 yesterday. Nice. I think Charles was 71 or something. So so they won first for the men. And uh, Eric won. Uh, they always award, um, you know, so uh, gold, silver, bronze, podium finish for, for both uh, um, teams, men and women, and for individual. And so Western uh, won best men's score. And Eric was low man individually. We were third, University of Guelph, um, which was a great start for us. And one of our um, our women was third uh, individual. So for us, I thought it was a great start for the season for, for our team. Felt really proud of... Uh, how many guys on a team and then how many guys play in a tournament? Uh, I'm carrying 10 men this year. Uh, nine uh, are able to play i red shirted a, a one a red shirt is like he's kind of like on the practice squad very promising uh young man in first year i just thought let's get him on the team let's see how he does in, in practice and how many dress for each uh, tournament five five of them okay. five men four women so when five men compete four of the best scores count and then for the women it's four women and three of the best scores how do you determine which guys get to play in each tournament uh well Largely, I'm just right now 
uh, cycling through some of the the newer players, uh, the the guys who've been there and done like fourth and fifth year players, they'll play in most of the events. Uh, they've earned their spot. They're good players. The idea is is there to win, but I'm putting people through, rotate them, see how they do. And so I had two first years yesterday. And so I, for us, I thought it was great that with, uh, so we had three veterans, two rookies, and the rookie scores counted. And they did. That's really amazing. Well. Yeah, Especially should. on a golf course like that where, you know, it's kind of like I described Weston. It's not a very difficult golf course except when you get around the greens. Oh, they were all going, oh, my gosh, these greens. And they're great. I, I shouldn't say that. It, you know, there's there's probably a few holes there. I, told, I talked to you about a couple before we started that are dif- more difficult than any hole on Weston. I think the 16th hole and the 18th hole at St. Thomas are as tough as oh, yeah. most courses you'll play. But those greens, there's a lot of holes there where those kids would eat it up except for the greens. The greens... That that little short par five on the back nine, I think is a twelve. Those kids would be hitting driver, five iron, four oh, the iron. One down the hill, the one down the hill, but yeah. the green is ridiculous. Right, the gr- it's the kind of green that sort of sits in a bowl there by the practice area. And if you're on the wrong side of that, you could you could be there all day. But yep. those kids, lengthwise, you know, they would just smoke it over that corner. You know, like I can hit. Listen, if I if I can hit the green in two with uh, something reasonable, those kids are hitting nothing. Oh yeah, it's, it's but but that's very local, good for your team. Oh, I I was really jacked uh, <laughs> for 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 the team. Yeah. I'm just laughing because I asked to Timmy before the show started. Says, so how did they? How did your team do yesterday? He goes, we won third. <laughs> I, I said, but that's crazy. But you know, winning is first. He goes, I know, but we won third. <laughs> Okay. You're so positive. You're like the most positive person I ever met. <laughs> it's absurd, really. We didn't lose. So do you also see that you finished last? But see how the gift of, of, of failing right. is that you're failing your way to success? You won last place. <laughs> Buddy, having uh, two kids that uh, was their first university tournament count, that's amazing. Yeah. I felt the uh, so what you, scored, I think there were 77 and 78. Nice. On a tough course. It's a tough course. What, what do you tell them before, the, uh, before you get on there? You go, boys, let me tell you something. I've been in this business, man. And boy, and I've never liked it. Is it something like out of uh, <laughs> no, Newt Rockney? <laughs> no, I was using that line, and um, I didn't. But during the play, during the tryouts, I was thinking back to Bull Durham and thinking that you know, as a manager, this is the toughest part of a manager's job. And then the kid knows, oh, I'm cut. That's right. <laughs> it's not you. It's me. You've won no spot. <laughs> you, you've been awarded no spot on this man's team. Well, you know what? I just. It, it worked at, at the national championships last year, so I just went, you know, we're just going to go with the same thing. I said, you know, the problem is is that, um, you know, that you don't care and you're not trying. In fact, what usually happens is you're trying way too, too hard. Mm-hmm. So I said, we're just going to go with what worked at nationals. So let's put it in here. Everyone put their hands in. I slightly don't care. Perfect. <laughs> and um, I don't know that that... Uh, Helped carry the day, but uh, maybe in a few spots in which they found themselves getting a bit heated, they maybe came to mind. And I think that's a, a key part of uh, of anything is that when you're really emotionally invested, live and die with the success of this shot or this sales pitch or whatever, uh, then you're really emotionally you know volatile and go all over the place. But mo- the men and the women they they held themselves together really well. When you're coaching a Canadian university team, I know the rules in the states are you're allowed to go and uh, 
like go and talk to them during the play. Yep. Can you, you can you also give them advice? <clears throat> Anywhere around except on the greens. You, you know, you can't be going like, hey, Mark, uh, this, this, this is a little downhill. <laughs> you can't do anything like that. But around, yeah, absolutely. It can help. Like on the tee box of a par three, you can say, hey, guys, this is playing a little bit into the wind. Most, all you of know, that. Uh, buddy just before hit five iron. Yeah, we do that on the par threes all the time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Mark was here. He hit a six. So for you, that's a five, whatever. Uh, it's playing downwind, whatever. All of that. Uh, and there was a couple times yesterday where... You know, I saw some players, you know, trying to figure something out. And so, so what do you got, you know, what's going on here? And, uh, you know, just talking through the options. And it's almost like being a caddy. Well, that's what I was saying. When I watch the American guys, it's almost like their university coaches there um, act like sort of a second caddy. Or, well, no, these kids don't usually have caddies at Correct. the university. Yeah, no caddies, so they act as a caddy. And, yeah. and you're allowed to do that. But it's weird. You're not allowed to go. This breaks left to right. Yeah. No, you, you can't give advice around the greens. Um, but everywhere else, yeah, it's absolutely fine. I helped with a, with a ruling yesterday. It was funny. I'm, I'm driving along in, in my cart, and I see a coach. You know, she's down in this gully, and she's waving frantically. And, and so I stop, and I go, I'm not a rules official, just another dumb coach. She says, that's fine. I'm a dumb coach, too. And so we figured it out. And uh, anyways, it was really fun. I ended up, uh, I said, hi, I'm Tim O'Connor. hi, Ashley Scholler. I, I know Ashley Scholler from years ago. Oh, yeah? Yeah, she's playing the Symmetra Tour, caddied on the LPGA Tour, and uh, there she is coaching um, with McMaster. Before I forget, speaking of caddies, have you heard any of the uh, on-course commentary from uh, Jim McKay? I did hear him in his first event, and I thought he was really good. Um, a little over-prepared a little bit, um, but, yeah, he's typically a really smart guy with lots of insider stuff so well you know so, so I, far so good but i haven't heard a lot of it. i've heard him uh, probably three or four tournaments into it now i would agree i mean he's okay i mean as a broadcaster he's you know he's a 20 handicap but he's you know he's he's earnest and he you know like he's not he's i mean i don't think he's i want to disagree with you i don't think he's very good at all i think he will be good but you can't expect him to be any good. He's just good versus what you would typically expect from a caddy. Yeah. My point about Jim, though, is that everything he says always includes something about the caddy. We get it. You were a caddy. You know? Always hanging that. Uh, it's it's, hanging it's everything that? is about, and oh, there's a Justin Thomas. Of course, his caddy is, uh, you know, all have, they all have uh, nicknames. nicknames. His caddy is uh, Scrappy Jones or whatever. <laughs> uh, Scrappy was a fine, you know, he, he always has something about the caddy. He's a fine player, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I was watching it last night when I came back from this uh, tournament at Cedar Bray. By the way, another amazing golf course yep. in Toronto. Absolutely. So I was just watching it last night, and they go to Bones. <laughs> Every time you want to talk about a drinking game, every time Bones mentions something about the caddy, take a shot. <laughs> but uh, no, he's just okay. I mean, he's not. The, the thing is, I get why they got him. Oh yeah, and I because I, it's kind of a, another perspective that you know you don't get from Maltby or the other guys, Gary Coke. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's just he's new at it, and you know. But but you know, every once in a while he'll say something like, "Oh, that's cool." Like you know, he he does have some insights into the players. Oh, absolutely. He's watched them for 25 years. Um, I think they're waiting for the stories. I think they're waiting for when they got some time to kill and a rain delay. And let's bring Bones on and start telling caddy stories. Yeah, maybe. Um, We uh, we don't really have a a plan there. You know, once we're once we're through sort of the meat of the golf season, I've got uh, one GAO sort of provincial tournament still to go. Uh, I think in uh, when is it? It's like. Wait a second. I think it's next week. <laughs> it's the, is that the better ball? Yeah, it's the senior better ball. 
<laughs> so I've got that, and I've got a couple of uh, guys with walkers and oxygen <laughs> that's tanks. right. <laughs> guys with you know who have uh, um, what are those things called? Uh, defibs. No, yes, defibs <laughs> and a monocle. A lot of the guys wear monocles. <laughs> that's how old we are. What, what about the little jackets on your shoes? Oh, the little um, ta- the tassel things. What were those called? Doesn't matter. Anyway, I've got that coming up. I think it's next week at Brampton. And I've got two more sort of competitive rounds uh, in an interclub thing. And that's it, really. Yeah. My my season is done. Um, a busy season that has been. Yeah. You know, and I thought maybe what we would do is because we, we talked a lot about in the show, uh, you know, some concepts that we either read about or lived or experienced. And I would, you could start um, to talk about it. Just a couple things that uh, of our season of, of shows, things that stuck out to you. Oh, you're asking me about a smart thing we talked about that I'm supposed to remember? I, I, well, well, listen, while you do that, I just want to find out <laughs> when I'm supposed to play this tournament. It's next oh, okay. Thursday. Well, I'm going to just check what you wrote down here. You can't read I, it. Is that cheating? No, you, you can. Uh, I just wrote down a couple of things. Okay, here's the, here's the thing that uh, I've gone with a few times this year with clients and with team. And I've come up with, we used to call it big boy golf, um, which I get. Uh, but in our multicultural world of diversity, uh, I've come up with a new phrase that I call it grown-up golf. And, um, and I, just, I was saying to our, our team yesterday, and that is that you give your absolute best on every shot, wherever mm-hmm. it is. So you give your best whether it's a four-footer for uh, birdie or a ten-footer for double. And um, you were the one who, it, who you got this, I think, from your coach, Paul Henrik, I think. Uh, or similar experience in terms of just staying with it, staying focused, and just giving your best throughout a round. Because once you tank, you're done. You're not going to learn anything, and you're you're outside of your ability to play your best golf. Well, the the concept of big boy golf was uh, introduced uh, by me and Paul. I'm not sure if I got it from Henrik or I got it from somewhere, but I, I don't mind saying it. I mean, because women understand it. I know you're not supposed to say it, okay. So, you know, grown up or big boy. The point is, um, opportunity, you know that old saying, you know, opportunity knocks. But in golf, op- opportunity, opportunity can only knock. And here it is. Mm. You're going to love this. Opportunity can only knock if the door is open. If the door is slightly ajar, then opportunity can knock. If and you, you shut, knocking on it. But if the door is shut, even though you can, here's where I'm going. Like if you shut the door to the possibility, and all and a lot, a lot of golfers listening know what I'm talking about. Whether it's the front nine, the third hole, somewhere in the round where things start to go poorly, and in every round of golf they do. Mm-hmm. To some lesser or more greater degree, they just do. You know, if you shut the door, opportunity can't knock, even though the door's there. It has to be a little bit open. And I think that's the biggest takeaway for me this year versus what I've learned over the lifetime of our show and and a lifetime of reading about this stuff is that in actual fact, as long as the door's slightly ajar, then opportunity can find you. You know, I, I think about some of the phrases we heard this year. You know, my buddy from uh, England that I met, uh, Jonathan Wallet, saying that, you know, build the boat, sail the boat. In order, you, the only way you can sail it is if you're open to the fact that, you know, some of the, the seas will be rough and it's not going to always be smooth sailing. Because the problem with golfers is we want it to be smooth. 
and it's not. How many times have a guy, you know, guys with say to us, you know, you're a very fine player. Man, I wish I could just hit it like you. And you're thinking, I suck. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just I can't tell you. Like, I'm at my lowest handicap ever, and I still suck. It's incredible, but there is no consistent, smooth round of golf. There just isn't. Yeah, and I'll invite you, Nick, for another Please, podcast. Please, invite, invite I'll me. invite you to, to let go of the self-judgment um, in another show, but um, no, you're absolutely right. Um, and a good example was yesterday in um, at St. Thomas. Uh, a couple of my players um, were three three, four over after, um, you know, two or three holes. And he still shot 77 or 78. You know, they just hung in there. And that's another way to talk about it is resilience, is that ability to stay with it. I love your analogy of the door being open. Because if you get really angry and say, well, okay, this, this game is done, you know, uh, you know, another disaster, the day is over, yep. which I've heard lots of times. Yep. Or the other way that it often goes is people get, it's like they're they're um, they're saying, you know, I quit. You know, yeah, I shot a, a bad score, but I quit on it. You know, everyone knows I'm better than this. Man, you're not learning anything. And the other piece around it, just around getting your round going or staying with it, because you just never know what's going to happen. You just never know. You could you could shoot, you know, 45 on the front. And then drop a couple of birdies on the back if you're a player of, of that ability, and get it back. You know, you can shoot a nice little score. Well, you know, if that, you stay with it. I've I've mentioned this story of a, a guy I played with quite a bit when I first joined Glenn Karen four years ago. But he, I, I was always intrigued by the fact he was a pretty good player. You know, four or five handicap, and and he'd be going along, and whether it was a third hole, the sixth hole, somewhere in the back nine, I I actually heard him say that. Well, there's the day. Yep. And done. I and I remember thinking. Door closed. Yeah, doors closed. Yep. But if you if you if that's your attitude, then there is nothing past that. The door is shut to any possibility. And I used to say to him as a joke, I'd say, "How do you know you're not about to start the best run of holes in your life?" Mm-hmm. The thing is, if the door's shut, it, it can't happen. You know, yesterday is a perfect example of. You know, I went back to Cedar Rays where I played the Senior Am in July, and I, you know, I've got I've got a yardage book with all my notes, and it was like you know. Kind of cool to be, oh, that's where I hit it. and But a completely different vibe than the nervous, you know, chunking the three iron off the first shot, having to hit a provision. You know what I mean? A different, a completely different feel. Nevertheless, it's a tournament. I'm playing, you know, there's, you know, your name's going to be in a thing. And I, uh, we started on the 18th hole. And I start off, I birdie the first hole I play, which is 18. Next hole, I hit a pretty good shot, but we can't find my ball. Mm. So I make a double. And then I make two birdies in a row, and I and I lip out for birdie on the on the fifth hole. So I could have started birdie X birdie 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 <laughs> because and I'm because and then it's funny because the guy I played with was Sean Casey. Oh, cool! And uh, Casey, who has been my uh, used to be my golf instructor, but he's known me for you know this sort of rebirth of golfer. And he just couldn't. He, he just kept smiling at me. Nice. Because my attitude is. Yeah, I don't care if uh, my we couldn't find my ball. It doesn't matter because I can still birdie the next hole, and then I birdied the next hole, and then the the, the one I lipped out on the la- on the fifth hole, it it looked everyone was like, oh my god, it's in! I, I could have literally birdied four of the first five holes I played, and one of them was an X mm-hmm. because I was so unaffected by the double. I didn't give a crap. And when you lipped out, what was your reaction to that? I was like, that was cool. Yeah, <laughs> I, absolutely. I lipped out thinking I actually laughed because the guys were like, oh my god, I go now I can't birdie every other hole on the golf course. <laughs> 
Because I thought, well, how many birdies in a row could I make? Right. But it wasn't a gross injustice either. That Not at all. Yeah. It was sort of, um, but old Howard, before I became, you know, golf spiritual leader. Enlightened. I would have gotten, I would have gone birdie, lost a ball, never make another birdie for the rest of the round. Right. With a, with a bottom lip. With a name. bottom lip going, well, though, there, you know, there goes my chance to show Sean I can really play. This day is done. Yeah. And, I, and you know, and the thing is, I had a really late night the night before. And I uh, was way, I was, uh, only had four and a half hours sleep. The point is, as the round progressed, as these tournament rounds, and sort of a fun little day, it get, it, we were out there for five hours. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. By about the third hour, I was, I'd been under, I sort of stayed under par for a good couple hours. And then I just got a little tired. I ended up shooting like 73 or 74. Mm-hmm. My point is, though, you can start birdie X, birdie, birdie, birdie. You can, you, it doesn't matter because one hole has nothing to do with the other. And for, for me, being back there just reminded me that there was a time on that golf course where I was nine over with six to play. Mm-hmm. And I made the cut because I kept the door open a little bit. Yeah. Because as you just said, and I love what you said about being personally connected to score is such a fragile state to be in. And, and when you mentioned even in a sale, like if you're a salesman, it's kind of, that's a great analogy because when I, and I do a lot of sales for the Humble and Fred show. When you have that desperate stink on, I call it, yes. no one's buying what you're selling. Absolutely, because they know they're being sold too. Right. And golf's like that. Yes. Golf's not going to buy your bullshit. No. You know, we all know, and you made a, another interesting point when you said that a lot of people quit. I used to do this all the time. You sort of give up in the middle of the round to justify the fact that you're going to shoot a million because in your mind you can go, well, you know, I really didn't try very much. You know. Yeah, I wasn't trying hard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but we way, all know that's, that's BS. You know I'm better than that. Well, you say that to yourself. Well, you know, I'm better than that, but I might have tried. The thing is, if you try and fail, you think that's going to hurt. But in actual fact, we know that not trying and failing hurts way worse. Yeah. Because in your mind, you know, man, I, I didn't, not only did I not learn anything, but I sort of, it's like, it's an immature thing. That's why the growing up or the big boy pants yeah, or we, whatever. Exactly. And we talked about this, I remember, in, uh, in the podcast in which I was wandering around Exhibition Park <laughs> in uh, on a beautiful summer day. And we talked about you talk about what's a, a common theme in movies that we at almost universally respond to, and that is someone trying triumphing over adversity. They called the hero's quest. Exactly, and you're just staying with, and you're not giving up. I mean, that when we don't, when we give up on ourselves, wow, that's. Uh, that's a statement about our belief systems, and and I would say a lot of times what's happening is our belief system in itself. You know what? I really don't have what it takes, and really, that's your storyline. I would say golf and every other thing that you do in your life is an endeavor to to write a new story for yourself. And that, if that sounds Pollyannish, fine, but I think it's that ability to stay with it and and just always work on being your best self. And and to me. When we start to go to a place of judgment, which is another thing that I want to connect to, is, and I think that's what's happening. When you quit on yourself and you um, get angry, you're making judgments about yourself that you don't perhaps measure up. And how are others judging me? That's come into play. Um, that's when we just – that's when we define ourselves and that's when we're emotionally invested. And an interesting thing that we were talking about with the team yesterday that you and I also talked about because we're kind of doing a summer – review here is is trying to play say with no judgment and say playing without a concept of par Mm -hmm. why should you play why should you kind of 
put yourself under someone else's arbitrary judgment that you should – if you're a certain player, you should make a four here. Why put yourself under that? Why not just play it, do your best, and add it up later? I love all of that. I mean, you know, back to judging ourselves. And, and if you – if I think of our Swing Thought family uh, – takes nothing away from this episode of two white guys rambling um the the important thing i think is this we all know when we've given up on a hole or a shot we go or we get mad at ourselves not everyone you know some of us are better i was never very good at holding that in but some people are i think a lot of people were better at it than me but it at the end of the day and I mean that literally, not the stupid hackneyed phrase. Mm-hmm. When the day is done and you're going to sleep and you think, man, I know I gave up on that. And that's not a very, you don't, you don't, you don't create any myelin. You don't create any good resilience. All you create is a more self-judgment that maybe you're just not good enough to play this game. Where, even if you, like I was, I can't remember at, at Weston at one point I was, uh, well, on the last hole of the first round, you know, I had a pretty crappy day and I was about to make a triple bogey. But I'm telling you, I had to make a putt for the triple bogey. It wasn't a long one, but I could have easily gone, F this, yep. make the eight, who cares? But I, I tried on, this, on the putt for seven, I was still trying to make seven. Because, and this is the part I want people to, to take away, the act of trying, whether it's for a, a birdie or a triple bogey, it's the act of trying that makes the, the it, it gets you to the next hole. The act of giving up, it just, it, it, there, it's, it, it takes a while to get, you know, you, you sort of have that sort of feeling bad. I'm not making this clear. You feel bad about yourself, so you're not really in a place where you can hope to make a good shot. Right. It's, it, in many ways, it's pain avoidance. Yes. You're trying to avoid the pain that you might miss this, this, and then what? And then does that define – does that mean I'm a crappy golfer? Uh, I, I just can't frickin' putt no matter what? No, that's – that is stepping away from from the test that, that golf and life is. And also – That's what I'm trying to say. If you step away from the test, back to the idea of the hero, you don't, you don't get to continue the quest. You don't get to continue the journey without knowing you kind of gagged it up on purpose. And also – do you really want to set up a pattern of behavior yes. like that? That's it. You know, do you, th- that becomes defa- – so if you keep quitting on yourself, that becomes a default behavior. Yeah. So, so let's say you've got a situation at work with someone who's um, – let's, let's say you're not being very um, – say you're not standing up for yourself. And you get in, – in, in some places where it's easy, maybe you say, yes, this is what I believe in. Then it gets heated and stressful. And then someone comes on strong and then you just – default back to all right i give up how are you then then you are just getting your reps in at a behavior that you don't want you're just you're just recycling uh, uh, that's old, it that's it exactly by by con- by continuing to try whether it's for you know maybe you didn't have a great hole like i did i mean i get to the end of the first round and i was like Ugh, these greens are tough i three putted five times in fact, it's funny because that day I played very nicely the first 10 or 11 holes. I think I was one or two over. Mm-hmm. And then I three-putted five holes in a row, 12, 13, 14, 15. It was just chaos. Yeah. I just got to the wrong side of each hole, slightly off. And next thing I know, I've gone from being a couple over to I'm going to shoot 80-something. Not that I care about the number, but I tried on the putt for seven Yeah, because I didn't want to make eight. That's it. That's it in a nutshell. I just wanted to make the lowest score I could. Right. 
And that was it. Exactly. And, you know, again, so let's look at this often happens to people, particularly in tournaments and people don't play a lot. Say you're well, it happened to me this year. I saw that it was going in the club C of the second round. I could shoot 90 today. And it was like, oh, my gosh. And so it was like bogey after bogey. And am I going to make another bogey? And it's like, you know, yes, you know, (laughs) I, I do this for a living and this stuff is coming into my head. Yeah. You know, I could have given up because it's like, oh, man, another test. And if I could just if I shrink, shrunk away from it and gave up, that is another way of pain avoidance. The same way, if you go back to my analogy of, you know, you have a situation at work and the reason you're triggered and you want to step away from from, say, asserting yourself with this other individual, because what happens if you do assert yourself and he says, well, F you and you get into a conflict? Most of us want to avoid conflict. We want to avoid pain. So we step back in default behavior to avoid the pain. So it's, it's staying with it. It's taking the risk, having the courage to step in, whether it's in golf or in other parts of your life. But in golf, I love that phrase. I use it all the time, staying with it. When I'm playing with somebody, including yesterday, you know, Sean Casey, who teaches golf for a living, a fine instructor. He's the head of instruction at Glen Abbey. He's got high-level junior players. And, and it's a pro-am, so his name is going to be the one with a up on the board with, you know, an actual score beside it. And he was having kind of a marginal day. wasn't playing all that great. But a couple times he had like a four or five footer for bogey and he sank it. And I actually say, way to stay with it. That's my phrase for people that grind it out. Mm -hmm. Because it's what you, because staying with it enables you to make a six footer for bogey or a four footer for triple. Because when you don't stay with it, you don't give a crap and you just throw it away and i've listen i went through it i was the worst i ever met i keep saying that because i remember driving home hundreds of rounds of golf going i you know it's just you and me now howard we both know you didn't really try and you kept sort of throwing shots away and you know that 82 could have been a 77 if you tried and because at the time i thought i don't want to shoot 77 yeah but 82 isn't great either (laughs) yeah but uh then like i said i i even yesterday you know i was playing pretty good for quite a long time and i had a couple of putts go eight feet by the hole and sank them for pars Mm -hmm. because that's what big boys do that's what grown-ups do in golf and uh, my biggest takeaway this summer is that if you leave a little bit of space in that door you just never know And, and charles fitzsimmons who's not only a fine golfer but he's getting his phd in sports psychology slash golf guy Mm -hmm. one of the things he always says is and it's true a good shot can just change the the vibration of your round. But in order to hit that good shot, you have to have this endless sort of... You have to be endlessly open to the possibility it could happen. Absolutely. Because if you're not, it's not going to happen. And sometimes all it is is just a, a chip that gets close or a putt that goes in, and it just changes the day. Yeah. Because, you know, we all have... like like I, Like I said, we all have... Whether it's, you know, really fine, you know, scratch golfers or whatever, we all go through the exact same thing. Sometimes a round starts good and then tanks. Sometimes it's not good and then it gets better. But the fact is that little change in vibration is all, all you know, good play. All any player wants is, oh, a little, bray of, a little ray of sunshine, a little ray exactly. of hope here. Um, because, listen, I've started off six over after four and... 
you know, chaos reigning supreme in that day in the club championship you're talking about. You could have shot 100 if you gave up. I think that's what happens to people. They go, well, I'm actually better. I'm, most people would say, you know, I don't give up, but I have given up. But what they're really saying is I'm okay with the humiliation of a higher score knowing that I really didn't try. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But another way, I love what you said about staying with it. So another way to look at that is staying present. Right. When you check out, when you mentally check out, um, you would not be open to the possibility of turning this thing around because you wouldn't experience that vibration. Right. You wouldn't just, and you know, whether that's a vibration of, uh, you know, a, a, a mental just epiphany or so, just, you just experience something or just a different feeling in your hands or something because you're mentally checked out. Mm-hmm. And so thus the door is closed on the possibility. And so that is, I, I really like that. And again, another way of, of saying that is, and what you talked about. So I'll argue that Sean Casey stayed present to his process of, of just giving his best. Trying, grinding, those are words. And I get you the way you use them. And, and, and that's just staying with it, giving your best. It doesn't mean sweating bullets whether this goes in or not. It's being present to it. So we got four holes to go yesterday. And, um, you know, our team, it's a team thing. Two net scores count. The other two guys we played with were really good guys. One was a three. One was an 11. The 11 was having a horrible day. Uh, you know, in order to win these kind of things, you need your 11 to have a great day because yeah. he's getting some shots. Exactly. And I'm, you know, the three made a, a birdie. I made three birdies, and I'm not getting any shots. But Ben Casey's, like, you know, in, in a group of his peers, is going to have to post a number. But it was so an individual number? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it's the pros have a are playing for money, uh, yeah, and the AMs yeah, yeah. are playing for whatever. Glory. But he said something to me, and I, I could sort of tell. You know, we weren't riding the same cart, but you know, he's he hasn't. I haven't worked with him on my swing for a couple of summers, but he's seen me play a little bit, and and this was the first time we'd played this year. So we, you you could you just if you've known me, you know, there's a different feeling I have as a golfer now. I, I have a different lightness on the golf course, even when things are not going my way. And yesterday I hit it pretty good, but I, I will admit, I, toward the last couple hours I was getting tired. I, yeah. was, I was still hitting it okay, but not quite as sharp as I was. We get to a short hole there at Cedar Bray. It's like three twelve. Everyone hits irons, goes up the hill again. It's one of those holes where it doesn't sound like much, but if you're on the wrong side of the part of the green, you're going to make a million. So I hit a three iron, eighty five yards to the hole. And I'm just sort of wandering around, looking around at the trees. And I get over the ball. I go through my process, and I hit it 70 yards into a bunker. Like, I was like, what? What just happened? Kind of thing. Like, I said that. Did anyone see that? Anyway, I get up, and I hit the bunker shot to a foot. And here's what Casey said to me. He goes, thank you. I go, thank you. For one, he goes, he said, just thank you for not staying with it. He said it in a way that was like, that was unusual. He says, not thanks for keep, thanks for keeping to continue trying was what yeah i don't have the exact phrase but was it was it a basic, maritime phrase maybe it was like something from new brunswick eh <laughs> but uh he just said thanks thanks for hanging in there or whatever it was because i i wasn't gonna stop i mean i, I didn't like the shot that went in the bunker but i thought oh here's a chance there to bunker shot they're fun absolutely whereas in the past i would have been you know beating myself up how dare you hit a bad shot but now i just take it all into consideration you know i got home at midnight from niagara falls i'm it's hot i'm having a it's a long day i'm not perfect but it's the it's the what i look at is going yeah that was a crappy shot i should do better i know what went, went, went i sort of go what went wrong 
But now I'm going, oh, there's a bunk. My ball's in a bunker. Isn't that fun? Versus, well, now this hole's done. Exactly. You get to hit another golf shot. You get to hit a shot. Yeah, and, and just think also of the, the um, not consciously, but think of like the, um, the example you set for the other guys in your group. You know, how they could feed I think off. that's kind of what he was saying. And, like, you could, and they could feed off that. Yeah, sort of thanks for not giving up in front of the kids. But the other <laughs> thing is, it, it, it's what you said about it's, it's the habits you create around your golf. And I have tried to create habits that will uh, hold me in good stead when I'm in a round that is going my way. Because mm-hmm. sometimes in a round where you're really playing well, you might chunk a 85-yard wedge shot to a tight pin. And then what do you do? Right. Well, you go to the bunker shot, you try and make par that way. Because I think the, the thing, you know, golf is not a game of perfect. It's never, I've never understood that as much as I do now. Absolutely. Yep. And it's not a game of perfect for anyone. You know, watching these guys on the PGA Tour, it's not, they're not hitting. I know they look like they're hitting spectacular golf shots. They're just not. They're hitting versions of their best at all times. Every once in a while, just like you and I, they'll crush one or they'll flush it or they'll hit it perfectly where they want to. But if you notice, you know, from 150 yards in, if you look at that uh, strokes gained uh, stuff, you know, they're not they're not hitting it close. They're hitting it 15 and 20 feet. Yeah. You know, our expectations are ridiculous in this game. Oh, absolutely. But one of the things that they do so well is hit the shot, done, hit the next shot and just keep moving along like that. Well, they're able to do what I did at the start of the round, you know, birdie, double, birdie, birdie. Because, right. and, and what most of us amateurs don't do is, you know, as soon as we have a bad hole, whether it's the first one or the 18th, we're done. Mm-hmm. Tim uh, Niblett is available. You can uh, go to his uh, website. He blogs there quite often. It's O'ConnorGolf.ca. You can Niblett? All- <laughs> You're going back into humble and Fred mode. What did I do? Did I say Tim Niblett? Tim Niblett. Did I really? You're I thought, sure no, I thought I said Tim. No, you said Niblett. Did you're I really? Or, or maybe you're... I thought I said Tim is available. No, you, I heard Niblett. But... I might have said Niblett. Yeah, but that is that what you want to have for dinner tonight? That's his name, Tim Niblett. <laughs> yeah, he's your Sherpa, right? He's a great guy. Yes. He's a great... By the way, if you're looking for financial advice, <laughs> oh, do- go oh, to retirementsherpa.ca. If you're looking you for golf advice... <laughs> Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca. Wow. That was freaky. That's fun. Um, also, go to our Facebook page. Um, like we have us. A, yeah, like us on Facebook, for and, God's and sake. And iTunes, too. Um, if you like this show, subscribe. Give us a review. We need the feedback, folks. So that's one of the things that happens in this business is that you don't get a lot of feedback. So... You know, if there's stuff you want to hear, stuff you don't want to hear, let us know. It's funny you say that because I ran into I was on uh, this hole where I chunk it, uh, chunk my gap wedge or lob wedge into when the bunker. When you got feedback on the, on the gunched yeah, gap? Yeah, I gunched it. I hit the ground too quickly. I walk by. So I'm on, uh, I guess that's the, uh, I can't remember what hole it is, but the, it goes parallel to the, the hole before. And I was in the woods looking for my cart partner's ball. And I saw a guy that listens to our show. Uh-huh. And I said, how's it going? He goes, good. I said, how are you playing today? He goes, well, you know, not that great. He said, um, I want, what would golf spiritual leaders say? <laughs> he said that to me. He goes, what would golf spiritual leaders say about, you know, I'm, I'm hitting it in the woods? I go, I'm not in the woods. <laughs> and it was right away. I was like, it's not me. 
Um, but I thought it was funny that he referred to me as that, which is, you know, I say it mostly, folks, ironically. Um, listen to the uh, but humble... Just, but just... Most, just slightly. So you've left, you've left the door open yeah, oh, that yeah. maybe you do mean it. Yeah, one day I transcend. Uh, on the Humble and Fred show, I want to point out that it's available at humbleandfredradio.com and SiriusXM. And if you're a KISS fan, on Wednesday... What is it? Wednesday... Oh, my gosh. The... Yeah. G- the guy with the tongue and the fire and the boots. On Wednesday, the- um, wow. September 20th, Gene Simmons will be a guest for the uh, 8 o'clock hour on the Humble and Fred show. Wow. For the, he's not for the first time, by the way. We've oh, had him, really? I've had him on before, yeah. He's an old buddy? I wouldn't say buddy, but he's been on the show before <clears throat> with his... Uh, he Actually, the last time he was on the show, he brought in his uh, wife, Shannon. Cool. Yeah. So... When you're talking to a guy like Gene Simmons, yes, are you able to break through the facade to the real person? Because I did a lot of interviews with, so I was a music critic for Canadian Press. Uh, there, this is just after black and white TV in '86 uh, through '88. Mm-hmm. Nice and, rabbit and, ears and that stuff. Yeah, yeah and I interviewed a uh, bunch of cool people. Like uh, I interviewed David Bowie. Um, I remember Chrissy Hine with the Pretenders. But I remember with Bowie that. It was a very cordial he's a, he was a lovely man to talk to a lot of good stories but you could never crack the facade there was always the persona that he kept and I could find it so hard to get behind that maybe I didn't have the chops of you as a broadcaster well I mean it's a different situation I mean you're not yeah. you know inter- but to answer your question interviewing people in my studio on my show is different than because I've never done that. I've never been in a room with a recorder and that trying to ask, you know, yeah, yeah trying to ask, yeah, yeah. you know, questions. I just when people come on the show, they're on the show, right? And uh, I have, I use, the, I, I'm emboldened by the fact that they're in. My, he, he's going to be sitting right here. It's your turf. It's my turf. Yeah, and they know it. Yeah, and they're not sure what's going to happen. They don't know what kind of. I mean, you know, I've had a lot of big stars on the show that. You know, came in into our show, and maybe they'd heard that we were kind of funny, quirky guys, and they they sort of sit down with that vibe, and it's great. Sometimes they know nothing, right? And, but it's more about that. I mean, I I don't envy those situations that you were in because that's the balance of powers with them, right? You're there as a you know you're, you're the fifteenth guy they've seen, and and I get that too. Some people have come into our studio; it's like the fourth interview they've done in two days, and but it's a different vibe. There's people around. You know, we're they know they know we're doing a show, and they it's a, and it's they feel a little bit more vulnerable because who knows what this idiot's going to say to me. <laughs> exactly. Whereas in your situation, you know, they're there and they're Mr. Bowie, and he's going to tell you this story about his album. And yeah, on the talking points that his PR people want him to hit on. You know. Do you want to hear a story about breaking through with somebody? Or I do. do. I well, you're the traffic cop uh, guy at the controls. So you know who Pink is. Yeah. Yeah, she's a pretty big star. So Huge. Big star, you know. I don't even know her songs, but I was working at a station. This is only about 10 years ago, and she came in with her entourage. And there was like, because the bigger, when, when like stars like Janet Jackson, Chris Martin, Nicole Play, Dave Grohl, what happens is not only is there the people that work on your show, but all the people that work at the radio station in music and the directors are all there. So, and then they bring in their entourage. So, and everyone's filming it. In the studio we were in at the time, there might have been, 12 people plus 20 outside watching. And oh, my gosh. So Pink's there and her whole entourage and my entourage, and she sits down, and she's got her sunglasses on. She's hot, by the way. She's got her sunglasses on. and You can't see her eyes, right? What? You can't see her no. eyes? So she's got sunglasses on. That's crap. And uh, 
there's a bunch of people around, and we song ends, and I go, hey, everyone, Pink's here, everyone claps. And I ask her a couple questions. Fred asks the question, and she's just kind of answering on, you know, she's in robotic mode. She's just, uh, you know, here's another couple of disc jockeys Autopilot. answering, asking me these stupid questions. So I guess about two minutes in, not even, maybe not even that long, a minute and a half in, I just go, okay, hang on a second, guys, we got to stop this. And we're live. She looks up. I go, yeah, we just got to stop. I go, Pink, I just want to just say something. Uh, it's been kind of bugging me since you walked in. She's like, what? I said, just so you know, I'm married. I know you kind of got to, I can feel like a bit of a love vibe with me. I can see that you're trying to size me up for a possible, you know, connection. It ain't going to happen, sister. And she laughed her freaking head off. <laughs> and then she takes her glasses off and now we're buddies. Yes. And so the whole interview, I kept going, now there, you're doing it again, Pink. Slow down, sister. Like, you want to see my kids? You don't care. Are you a homewrecker? That was the vibe. Oh, perfect. And it was. It was. She just. It just broke. It just broke her out of her shell, and she realizes. Well, I don't know anything about music. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> I just wanted to talk about. You know. Anyway. So that's what I usually do. So with Gene Simmons, you know, it's always a little bit weird at the beginning because he's going to be Gene Simmons, yeah. and you're, and there's a little bit of that. He's a, a big status guy in his, you know, in his mind. I've called you a big personality. He would be a ginormous He's a big person. personality. Yeah. So sometimes I take it a little quieter at the beginning, you know, sort of let things flow a little bit. And then usually they sort of get the vibe from us that we're not like normal, you know, radio DJs. Right. But that's a lot of years in the business <laughs> you doing know. that and having a – that's cool. <laughs> I can't wait to go. Uh, Gene, here's a question from, uh, I just wondering, uh, do you party uh, rock and roll all night and party every day? Is, you know. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Tim O'Connor wants your business. You can have a consultation with him. It's, uh, and just read my blog, and if you like it, great. And uh, how do people get a hold of you? It's tim.niblet at uh, RaymondJames. <laughs> what is it? Okay, uh, look at my blog, O'ConnorGolf.ca, and, and I hope you like it. And well, and if you want to book Tim, you can. He's oh, not. Yeah, he's not coming. You're not coming over to Chris birthday parties. Right. You want right. to get Tim to your next kid's birthday party? You can't Balloon do that. animals exactly. uh, that look like Dustin Johnson, and Jordan Spieth. <laughs> That's funny. I thought that was. Good. It is. <laughs> I was, I was like, what did he, what did you just say? Yeah, he makes balloon animals in the in the form of the Wanamaker Trophy. <laughs> you get the little things on the side. That's a niche business. It's a very very niche business. If you want to, if you want Tim O'Connor at your kid's birthday party to make uh, replicas of the major championship trophies, his a claret jug is remarkable. And my mom is working on sewing the green jacket. Hey, um, that's a niche. But seriously, you can actually email Tim. This is the guy, and he'll come. He'll come. To your house and talk about your your mental acuity <laughs> and lack thereof. Yeah, man. Which I think we have. Uh, this All right. Well, listen. This there you fun. go. Fun Swain to be thoughts. back in the studio. It's been a while, man. Yeah. Uh, Taylor made golf. Uh, make sure you check out the uh, new irons are being released either this week or the next. Sweet looking things. The I think they're called SI seven nineties or something. Always cool names. Man. Yeah, man. You got to get the numbers in there. Um, Club Link uh, is a good time to join Club Link. It right? is a great time to join Club Link. If you join now, uh, they basically you can get the rest of the year almost for free. Yeah, there's a lot of golf left. There is a lot of golf left. I know you people out west are going. Oh, the season's over. Not here, buddy. We're golfing until. Uh, somebody asked me that the other night. Well, I guess you're going to be winding it down. I go, yeah, in December. 100. percent All right, kids. I'll see you next time. In other places 
above the horns, they blowing that sound. 